Good morning. It's been great this morning just to worship Jesus. Such excitement and joy in the house. It's a real privilege to set time aside to be the house of God together. So it's great. Uh, I want to share with you this morning here something that I'm simply calling the signs of a great church. Do you think this is a great church? Some of you do. Well, let's think about that. Uh, together for a little while and then as Silas said in the life groups you'll be discussing um, what I'm sharing uh, this morning so if you want to take any notes or whatever then think that way. In 2015 a research project was carried out by Hope UK, the Church of England and the United uh, the, the Evangelical Alliance and it looked into attitudes towards Christianity in the UK. The research was simply called Talking Jesus. And it investigated how open people were to Christianity in this nation and how well the Christians were talking about Jesus throughout the nation. This research uh, has now been updated seven years later and uh, updated by asking some 4,000 people to respond. And the latest Talking Jesus report has come out just a couple of months ago. And I wanted just to share with you some of the things that were discovered in this report. First of all, 48% of the UK population class themselves as Christian. Sounds like good news, doesn't it? Only 6% are actually practicing Christians. Research went on to find out when people were asked where they go to to find out about the Christian faith, this was some of the responses. 15% said that they would talk to a friend or a family member who was a Christian. 26% said they would go to something called Google. 22% said they might go to a local church, and another 22% said that they would possibly read the Bible. The key findings that came from this report were simply these. 48%, as we've said, choose to describe themselves as Christian. 53% of non-Christians actually know a Christian, which is good news. 55% of non-Christians who know a practicing Christian have actually had a conversation with them about their faith. And 34% of practicing Christians said that growing up in a Christian family was the top influence in bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. How many of you grew up in a Christian family? Yeah, quite interesting. And finally, most practicing Christians come to faith before the age of 18. That's why junior church, youth ministry, youth camps is incredibly important. So what does this tell us about the local church when it comes to mission and reaching people with the good news of Jesus? What does this tell us? Well, I just want to share something with you as a slight digression, but it is re relational. How many of you like cricket? We're into the cricket season. England are playing New Zealand. They won the first series. I haven't caught up with how they got on yesterday. 
<laughs> Don't spoil my recording that I'm going to watch later. But the MCC, that is kind of the head of the cricket, they um, explain the game of cricket to people who come from non-cricket playing countries. And this is how they explained it. You have two sides, one out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that's in goes out. And when he's out, he comes in, and the next man goes in until he's out. When they are all out, the side that comes out, or the side that's out comes in, and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men still in and not out. When a man goes out to go in, the men who are out try to get him out. And when he's out, he goes in, and the next man in goes out and goes in. There are two men called umpires who stay out all the time, and they decide when the men who are in are out. When both sides have been in, and all the men have been out, and both sides have been out twice after all the men have been in, including those who are not out, that's the end of the game. <laughs> that's a perfect description of the game of cricket. Are you confused? <laughs> Many people feel exactly the same about the church. They know there are people who go out on a Sunday morning and go in to buildings that are kind of churchy looking, but they don't know what they do. And when they've been in, they go out again and they often look quite miserable. And they go back and just do life as they normally do to the following Sunday. They come in and then they go out again. And people in this nation are confused. What are Christians all about? 48% say, well, I like the idea of Christianity. 96% actually practice it. It tells me that we live in a nation that is totally confused about the claims of Jesus Christ. Now, we want to be a church that lives up to our name. New life. We've got new life here this morning. Little Roseanne on the table at the back. Go and look at her afterwards. She is absolutely gorgeous. She doesn't look a bit like her parents. Well, she looks like her mum. But she's beautiful. And we love newborn life. This gorgeous little baby that's here for the first time. She's a precious gift from God. We all love that which is newborn. And we represent new life that comes from Jesus. And we want to be a church that truly expresses that new life and enables others to know that the new life in Jesus brings change and transformation and hope that lasts for all eternity. So we're going to look at the scriptures this morning, and we're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 21. Ashley's is just going to come and read to us a few verses, if you want to follow it, John 21, and just listen as the scriptures are read to us. Thank you very much, Ashish. Okay, I want to look at this passage because I believe that there are some key things here that will help us understand 
the signs of a great church. Tells us here that this was the third time that Jesus had met with his disciples after his resurrection. They had gone back to fishing. They'd all deserted Jesus at the cross. And perhaps they thought that this wonderful three and a half year time they spent with Jesus, seeing all these amazing miracles, listening to all the teaching, perhaps they thought that the bubble had burst, it was now all over, and the best thing they could do was to go back to their former way of life, how they used to earn their living before they ever met with Jesus. But the way Jesus treats these disciples gives us a wonderful picture, I believe, as to what he wants us as his church to be in this day and generation. So what is it that defines a great church? Well, first of all, it welcomes you. Often on a Saturday morning, I join a group of about 200 people. You could call it a kind of church. It's a gathered group. But when I go, nobody speaks to me. Some of them are in little groups and they're laughing and joking because they know each other. Others like me just stand quietly by while the leader gives a few instructions. It's called park run. And we all run off together and we run our 5K. And when we finished, we all go home. Nobody comes and says to me, hello, it's really great to have you at Park Run, you are so welcome. Or would you like to meet up for a cup of coffee so we can tell you about our faith in Park Run? Doesn't happen. And I just go home and I've enjoyed my run. A number of years ago, Janice and I visited a church in the United States. It had at least 500 people in the congregation. Oh, 900. It's getting better. 900 people in this congregation had a huge car park with people directing you. It was a modern, new, comfortable building. And people were like ants. They were going in all different directions, taking children to the creche and to junior church and to this, that, and the other. We found a seat and uh, we enjoyed the service. But, you know, only two people spoke to us after the service. No one made us feel glad that we'd visited their church. And sadly, I found churches like that here in our country as well. What's really important about a great church is that it welcomes people. You see, Jesus welcomed the disciples. They were out fishing and he calls them. He says, hi guys, have you caught any fish? They didn't know who he was. He calls out to them and he says, why don't you come and have breakfast with me? Now Jesus could have given them the cold shoulder. Jesus could have said, I'm going to have nothing to do with that lot again. They deserted me when I needed them most. They turned their backs on me and ran away. And as for this guy, Peter, he denied that he'd ever known me. And Jesus could have turned his back on and thought, I'm not going to have anything to do with them, but he welcomed them. 
Last Sunday after the service, we were having coffee and some superb jubilee cake. It's delicious. When I saw a couple who visited us, and they were standing all by themselves, other people were around them, chatting in their little groups. And this couple were just standing there. Nobody talked to them. And I pushed my way through and had a conversation. I thought, that's bad. Now, maybe someone talked to them before I noticed. But I just feel that a great church is a church where you really feel welcomed. Where people make you feel glad that you came and that people take an interest in you. Now, I know for some people it's a big issue to talk to somebody they've never met before. If you're Vic, you'll just go and talk to anybody at any time. He struggles to have an off switch. But he's just one of those wonderful people. Where, but I know for some it's a terrifying thing to go up to a total stranger and you kind of freeze, but we've got to do that. Because church is a place where people should feel welcomed. Because when Jesus lived and walked on this earth, he welcomed everybody. He said, Come to me, come to me. He never bypassed anybody, he never turned his back. And even though the scribes and the Pharisees called certain people scum, Jesus spent a lot of his time with them. If we're going to be a great church, we've got to be a church that has a big heart of welcome to everybody. And Jesus showed the welcome by offering hospitality. Hey guys, come and have some breakfast. He didn't even ask them for some of their fish. He'd already got the fish. Come and have some breakfast, guys. And suddenly they realize it's Jesus. They couldn't believe it. And they come dragging the net to shore and Peter goes dashing in. It's the Lord. But not only does he offer them breakfast, offer hospitality, but he offers inclusivity. He offered it to all of them. We've got to be a church that has an inclusive welcome. Doesn't matter what walk of life people come from. It doesn't matter the kind of lifestyle that they may be living. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin may be, what culture they sign up to. We are going to be a church that welcomes everybody. Because that is how Jesus behaves. But a great church is also a church that feeds you. And it's nice to have coffee and cake after the service, but it's got to be a bit more than that. The Apostle Paul said this, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. We often talk about being worldly wise. This world doesn't have much wisdom. It has more foolishness than wisdom. It's the word of God that makes us wise. It's the word of God that shows us how to live. It's the word of God that will direct you in every choice and every decision that you need to make in life. And we need to be fed upon the word of God. Why? Because as Paul says in Galatians, he says we have all got to come to a place where Christ is fully developed in our lives. Love that phrase. That's God's purpose. That's God's heart. Do you know why you've never gone to heaven yet? Because Jesus has not yet been fully developed in you. But the day that is fulfilled and you walk into heaven, you're not going to you will see Jesus and you will be like God's process will be complete. Jesus will be fully developed 
in you. That is the plan and purpose that God has for every one of us. And Paul gave this powerful advice to Timothy when he said to him, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. A great church is a church that feeds you on the word of God. It's a church that has clear, relevant, consistent, theologically sound teaching of God's word. A wordless church will be a weak church. Jesus fed these disciples naturally because he fed them spiritually. And then he commissions Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. He says, Peter, I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Now, sheep are mature Christians. But it doesn't matter how old we are, we still need feeding, don't we? We never get to a point where we don't need food anymore. Wouldn't it be brilliant? Your supermarket bill, your Aldi bill would be zero if you reach the point where I'm mature enough and I don't need any more food. That never happens. And it's the same in the Christian life. We never reach a point where we know it all. We've made it. We constantly need feeding from the word of God, even though we might be mature like sheep are. But also, he says, Peter, feed my lambs. They are newborn believers who need the milk of God's word, as the scripture describes in another place. Jesus was a great shepherd. And a great church is a place where people are fed, are nurtured, are matured, are discipled in the ways of Christ. And Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 13 that the purpose of the ministry gifts to the church was this, that we all become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Jesus Christ. So a great church is one that welcomes you, it's one that feeds you, but also a great church is one that empowers you. One of the purposes that we have of this church is to equip the saints. We believe that encountering God's presence is important. We believe that equipping the people of God is important. And we believe that evangelizing those who don't know Jesus is important. They are core values that we carry as a church. And this church, our purpose is that each one of us will be equipped to be effective in living for Jesus. Now, you know, Jesus could have rejected Peter. Jesus could have written Peter off. But actually, he reinstates him and then he empowers him to become the incredible man that we read of in the book of Acts. Few verses just to refer to in the book of Acts 1 verse 8 Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church the church is born remembering that last Sunday and those disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit who gets up and preaches Peter stands up and he begins to preach this amazing sermon, explaining everything that's going on. At the end of that sermon, 3,000 people come to Jesus. This wasn't the Peter who constantly was making mistakes. He is empowered in a new way. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a man sitting outside begging who had never walked in his life. And he looks at Peter and John and he says, you know, I've got a few shekels. 
He says, sorry, mate, I'm, I'm still for a goal, but I've got something else in the name of Jesus. Get up. This is a man who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to live in the miraculous, not the mundane. God wants our ordinary to become extraordinary by the power of his Holy Spirit that work in us and through us. And a great church is a church that embraces the fullness of the Holy Spirit and so empowers us to live for Jesus in a way that brings transformation. And our nation needs to see the power of God's Spirit at work, doesn't it? That's what will convince people that Christianity is the truth. That's what will open their eyes when they see the power of God at work in us and through us. A couple of years ago, we carried a verse of scripture with us, and it was this, wasn't it? God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity or cowardice. He's given us a spirit of power, love, self-discipline. Why? So that we will never be ashamed to tell others about Jesus. That verse is so often quoted, but the second bit is left off. The reason God has given us power, the reason God has shown us his love in Jesus, the reason God has enabled us to live lives that are disciplined and worth something is so that we can bring transformation into our communities by sharing the good news of Jesus. So the great church welcomes you. It feeds you, it empowers you, but finally, the great church releases you. Because Jesus said to Peter on more than one occasion, I want you to follow me. Don't follow anything else. Don't go back to a different way of life. You continue to follow me. You followed me for three and a half years, you're gonna keep following me till the end of your days. Every single one of us are a different shape. Just cast your eye around this room and look at everybody. We're all different. We're all a different shape. I'm not going to expand on that too much, but I want to spiritualize it. Okay. Even twins have differences. They talk about identical twins, but there are differences. Why? Because we are all unique. God made us as individuals. Peter was unique. He desired to be first, didn't he? If you read the Gospels, it's always Peter who puts his foot in it. He spoke up before others did. He was a natural leader, but his enthusiasm often ended up making him look a fool and, as it were, having egg on his face because so often he was too keen. Albert Einstein once said, a person who never makes a mistake will never make anything. Peter was released <coughs> into the shape that God had made him to be. If Peter hadn't been released, he would have gone back to what he was before. It's very easy to be church where you just show up every Sunday, you sit on a comfortable seat, you enjoy the music and all of that, and go away again. The power of the Holy Spirit, the purposes of the church is that we might be released to take the good news of Jesus into communities 
and into our connections. Job said this. He said, you shaped me by your hands. God said through the prophet Isaiah, the people I shape for myself will declare my praise. And Paul says those very important words in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you or shape you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. So think with me about this shape business for a moment, because Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he brings out some very helpful guidance that enables us to be released into what God has shaped and intended us each to be. He offers some guidance and understanding. You know, there's nothing worse than going through life missing what God intended you to be. That's a waste of a life. And in this church, we want to be released to be what God has shaped us to be so that we are effective and fruitful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So think with me for a moment about the word shape. Okay. First of all, God has given us spiritual gifts. How has God gifted you? 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Holy Spirit decides which gift each person should have. We're not all gifted as worship leaders. We can't all get up there behind a keyboard and, and start leading and inspiring everybody to praise Jesus, can we? We're not all gifted as children's workers. Some people just love and adore children and they become teachers. For others, it's the last thing they would ever want to do. But there are giftings that God gives to us. There are abilities that God places within us that often define the shape that he has made us. Isn't it great that we're not all the same? The Holy Spirit gives us, empowers us, enables us to fulfill a destiny, a calling, a purpose in our lives. But then also, the hatred of the word shape is to do with the heart. What is the passion of your heart? Please don't say Manchester United. But you understand what I mean? Jack, later this week, flies to Kenya because he's got a passion to work amongst those people to equip Christians so that they can go out and serve their own people across the nation. Kenya has brilliant. But we don't all have that passion. Helen's you know, got a passion for Africa to teach and equip parents to know how to love their babies and their children. That's brilliant, but we don't all have that. But God puts within each of us passions. And the wonderful thing about passion is it's linked to the word compassion, and compassion is when you put your passion into action. What's the passion of your heart? What is the passion that God has put within you that really stirs you, that motivates you, that makes you say, I want to do something about it. I want to bring some kind of change. Recognize it. But then there is also abilities. What are you good at?
says in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, God has given each of us some special abilities. Be sure that you use them to help each other. If you want a house built, go and talk to Terry. He'll build you a house. He's got this ability with bits of wood and bits of timber and things like that. If you're struggling with your accounts, go talk to Peter. He loves numbers, doesn't get confused. He's adding up this subtraction and always work out perfectly well, I think. Yeah. But you know what it is? Different, we have different abilities. There's some of you here who have this wonderful ability to work within the NHS and to help people to get better when they're sick and we're so grateful for it. What ability has God given you? And then the P, personality is great, isn't it? You are uniquely you. No one else like you. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says God works through different people in different ways. But it's the same God who achieves his purpose through them all. And then finally, this lovely thought, an acrostic on the word shape, the experience. What has life taught you? As we go through life, we, we learn through our experiences. How has your upbringing nurtured you? How have your life experiences developed you? What have those painful experiences taught you? They should make you better, not bitter. Aldous Huxley said, experience is not what happens to you, it is what you do with what happens to you. I believe that this is a great church, yeah. but it could become great. Yeah. And just looking at the lovely way in which Jesus dealt with those disciples just reminds me of some key fundamentals that if we keep it in mind, we will constantly be going in the right direction. Finally, there's a lovely verse in Romans 12, verse 5 from the Message Bible. Since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. We could be the best church there is in Winchester. That's not putting down other churches. Let's be the best church that we can for Jesus. Let's be the best representation of the new life that Jesus gives to us. And let's have a good discussion this week in life groups about these things. Thanks, Sanjay.